Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I hope everyone had a good weekend. I took a long one, uh, but we left some things up, the big stories up from over the weekend, so I can update you on that. But the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, 30 progressive House Democrats urge Biden to negotiate with Russia. So a in a letter to President Biden signed by 30 House Democrats, these are members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, they are urging Biden to negotiate with Russia and seek a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine. And in this letter, these lawmakers, they said that they have supported Biden's Ukraine policy, which they have. Um, they all voted in favor of that sending $40 billion to Ukraine and all the other spending on Ukraine, which totals about $67 billion that's been authorized so far. But in this letter, these lawmakers said that the, the risk of nuclear war and what they call a catastrophic escalation means that the U.S. should be pushing for negotiations. The letter reads, quote, we urge you to pair the military and economic support the United States has provided to Ukraine with a proactive diplomatic push, redoubling efforts to seek a realistic framework for a ceasefire, end quote. So the letter was, uh, it was led by Representative Pramila Jaypal. She's a Democrat from Washington. She's the chair of that Congressional Progressive Caucus. And in a statement to the Washington Post, she said, quote, the longer the war in Ukraine goes on, the greater the risk of escalation to widespread devastating effect, end quote. The Biden administration, as I've covered just a lot, they've shown very little interest in diplomacy with Russia, really no interest, uh, publicly at least. And this is despite President Biden's recent warning that there is a higher risk of nuclear Armageddon today than at any time since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. If you remember when I covered that, when, it first, when he first said that, I tried to find a silver lining there thinking that if he really believes that, then ho hopefully that means he's pursuing talks with Russia. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, and the Washington Post reported earlier this month that U.S. officials have ruled out pushing Ukraine to the negotiating table, even though they don't think Ukraine can win the war outright. So in this letter, these progressives said that they agree with the administration's position that it's not the U.S.'s place to pressure Ukraine's government to negotiate. That's a line uh, we've seen come out of the Biden administration this whole time uh, since February. But they added that quote, as legislators responsible for the expenditure of tens of billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars in military assistance in the conflict, we believe such involvement in this war also creates a responsibility for the United States to seriously explore all possible avenues, end quote. So sort of, it seems like in a polite way, they're saying, you know, we're funding this war to the tune of tens of billions of dollars. So that means we should have, uh, some say in it. And realistically, Ukraine is completely reliant on Western aid, mostly U.S. aid, to be fighting the war. Uh, so it's really going to take negotiations between the U.S. and Russia to end it. And one avenue that these lawmakers said Biden should explore is direct talks with Russia. 
And they said that a framework for a ceasefire could include some form of sanctions relief. The progressive Democrats concluded the letter by calling on Biden to, quote, make vigorous diplomatic efforts in support of a negotiated settlement and ceasefire, engage in direct talks with Russia to explore prospects for a new European security arrangement acceptable to all parties that will allow for a sovereign and independent Ukraine and, in coordination with our our Ukrainian partners, seek a rapid end to the conflict and reiterate this goal as America's chief priority, end quote. So that's interesting there because that isn't something that you ever really hear U.S. officials say is that they they want the war uh, to end here. Um, It's just all about supporting Ukraine in in the fight. In, in response to the letter, it seems like the White House rejected the idea of diplomacy with Russia. Uh, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said, quote, It's clear Mr. Putin is in no mood to negotiate. We're not going to have conversations with Russian leadership without the Ukrainians being represented, end quote. So again, it's this idea that um, it would take, you know, that it wouldn't, take negotiations between the u.s and russia to end this war and this is something um i've seen few a few officials western leaders say that the only way to end this is is between is by uh talks between um the u.s and russia uh you know some of them recognize that and then some Prominent signatories to the letter include uh, Barbara Lee, the Democrat from California. She's, you know, the one that the only person that voted against the AUMF that authorized the war in Afghanistan that was passed right after 9-11. That's still being used today to bomb Al-Shabaab in Somalia, a group that didn't even exist then. And even, you know, launch airstrikes in Syria and Iraq against ISIS, another group that didn't exist when it was passed. Um, And Rokana. AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, you know, the squad, they all uh, signed on to this. And, you know, they've really let us down, these progressives that are good on some of the wars by by voting for all this Ukraine aid um, and not doing this earlier. But I think this is a good sign. Uh, hopefully we start to see more of this. I mean, this is still a minority view, definitely, in Congress. But just the fact that, you know, these are people that support this support arming Ukraine and support being the U S intervening in this war saying, Hey, let's, we got to talk about negotiations. So I think it's a good sign. Hopefully we see more of it from Republicans and we see some them working across the aisle here. Um, you know, I'll, uh, I won't get my hopes too high though. Uh, all right. The next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalo and he wrote this on Sunday and this is based on this C- little CBS news report. Uh, and it, it was a video uh, from CBS News, and he included it in the article. People should go just check it out. It's short, three-minute video, but it's out the hundred and it's about the hundred and first airborne that are deployed in Romania, just very close to the Ukrainian border, and saying that you know they're ready to go fight Russia in Ukraine if they're ordered to. So the White House has deployed thousands of American soldiers just miles from Ukraine to prepare for war. Officers speaking with CBS News revealed that they were there for combat against Russia. So they're saying, you know, that they're doing these war games and drills and stuff and that they're uh, preparing for fighting Russia. 
um, and it's nearly 5,000 troops from, from the 101st Airborne. They recently deployed uh, to Europe, joining the over 100,000 American soldiers that are in Europe. And the U.S. military presence has really increased since around the time Russia invaded Ukraine. And it doesn't seem like they're going to be drawing it down anytime soon. Um, and this this base that they were at, that this CBS reporter was at, was only was within only four miles of Ukraine's border, so very close. It's, it, it you know you watch this news segment, it seems like they're you know priming us, preparing us for for the U.S. eventually entering the war. It's very uh, concerning. All right, the next one here, Russia's. Russia says that its forces are preparing to work under radioactive contamination. And they're saying this as they are accusing Ukraine of preparing to use a dirty bomb. So a Russian military official on Wednesday said that Russia is preparing its forces to work under radioactive contamination as Moscow is accusing Ukraine of planning to use a dirty bomb, which is an explosive, a munition mixed with nuclear material so a blast would put radioactive material contamination out out there uh and ukraine has strongly denied that this accusation from russia that it's preparing to use a dirty bomb and so has its western backers but russia is not dropping it um you know i was just looking at russia media today specifically tass which is a site that i check a lot because they always put out statements and stuff from russia's government uh agencies and there's just so much about this claim uh you know i didn't see any evidence for the claim but they're really harping on it and they plan to bring the issue to the un so lieutenant general igor Kurilov, he is the chief of russia's radiation chemical and biological defense troops claimed that ukraine could use a dirty palm and accuse russia of detonating a low yield nuclear weapon so that's basically what they're saying is that ukraine's going to use a dirty bomb and and as a false flag and blame it on russia uh, so he said that, quote, work has been organized by the Ministry of Defense to counter possible provocations from the Ukrainian side. Forces and resources have been put in readiness positions to, for, to perform tasks in conditions of radioactive contamination, end quote. So on Sunday, the U.S., Britain, and France, they issued a joint statement accusing Russia of making false claims about Ukraine's potential use of a dirty bomb. They called the claims transparently false allegations and suggested that it was a pretext for Russia to escalate its war. But that idea, I, I don't really, I don't know. I, I don't see why Russia needs a pretext. You know, they've been escalating the war and they, they don't care what the U.S. And the, and the West think anymore. I mean, they made a decision on February 24th when they invaded that, um, you know, they don't really they're not going to be concerned about what the U.S. and its allies are going to say about stuff. Um, and then Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, he's the top U.S. general. He spoke with his Russian counterpart on Monday for the first time since May. And according to Russian media, they talked about this allegation. And uh, Sergei Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, Kyle wrote this up the other day. He he spoke with Lloyd Austin, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, and also the the defense ministers from the, the UK and France about, and he said, or Russian media said that they spoke about this allegation, uh, this dirty bomb thing. So, I mean, Russia's bringing it to them. It's, it seems like they're, they're not going to drop it. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, there's no, 
no matter who does it or who knows what what's going on with this, but hopefully that there's not uh, something like a dirty bomb that goes off. Because uh, then you wonder, you know, what would the next step be after that? Uh, all right. So now it's our fundraiser, and we have a really another really awesome endorsement, and it's from Roger Waters, uh, the co-founder of Pink Floyd, and he's been really outspoken uh, against the U.S. The, Joe Biden's policy of arming this proxy war against Russia and the risk of nuclear war. Just in general, for years, he's been very good on the issue of Palestine, and, and he really speaks out for Julian Assange, which I really appreciate. And he wrote us an awesome letter, and he's putting up $20,000 for us, and we have to raise that in matching funds. So we need you guys to really help us out with this. Um, but there's a great short letter at the top of the page if you want to check it out. And just read it and go to antiwar.com slash donate and help us out so we could finish our fundraiser. Um, this is just a really, it's just so cool for me personally. I mean, I've listened to Pink Floyd since, since I was a kid. I remember it was one of the first bands that I like got into. Um, and yeah, so it's just really uh, awesome for me. So yeah, help us out. $20,000. It's a huge help. I mean, we really appreciate what, what he's doing for us. Um, but we need to uh, match that in, individual donations and that's where you come in so help us let's work together on this with roger waters um so we could keep going here uh antiwar.com slash donate and definitely go check it out go check out the letter it's it's awesome okay so the next one uh is from connor freeman he wrote this up on sunday and it is titled nato's proxy war in ukraine is depleting arms stockpiles so after eight months of Washington and other NATO members pouring billions of dollars of arms and other military equipment into Ukraine, the proxy war has depleted the Allies' weapons stockpiles, according to the Associated Press. So um, this proxy war and, and, and sending all these weapons to Ukraine has largely emptied the arms stockpiles of both large and small NATO members. And this has led to calls for ramped up production in their military industrial complexes. So uh, this is something we've seen a lot of that NATO countries are increasing military spending and weapons production for this. And there's some pretty um, serious commitments by these smaller NATO countries to increase their military spending. So Estonia recently passed a 42.5% military budget increase to replenish its stockpiles. 42.5%. So almost half of their, they're increasing it by almost half, by almost 50%. Um, and then Lithuania, a member of Lithuania's parliament told AP that Funding this war is burning through their ammunition reserves. So uh, it's um, pretty serious numbers here, you know, with these smaller countries that don't have the big military stockpiles. And I know for the U.S. that they are running short on artillery ammunition because they just keep sending it over to Ukraine uh, for howitzers and things like that. Uh, so you wonder how long, how sustainable this is. But also, as Connor mentions in the article, it's just another example of how it's a total boon for uh, Lloyd Austin's buddies over at Raytheon and all the other arms makers. 
All right, the next one here, Swedish foreign minister says that the new government will fulfill deal with Turkey to join NATO. Sweden's foreign minister on Monday said that the new Swedish government will fulfill this deal, which is required to join the military alliance. Turkish officials appeared to be at odds with the previous more left-leaning government when it came to the NATO agreement. So, Ulf uh, Kristersson, he is Sweden's new prime minister, and he took over last week as part of a coalition government considered to be center-right in Swedish politics. And as uh, some people have pointed out to me, because I discussed this before, there is uh, the Sweden Democrats, I believe, is the party that they call far right. But um, when it comes to Swedish politics, when it comes to a lot of European countries in general, what they consider right wing, we, you know, economically isn't even close to what we would consider it uh, here in the U.S. Um, I know I have listeners in Europe, but I know uh, the, most of the audience is, is American. And uh so when it comes to being right wing, it's mostly more like socially and in, uh, in, in some policies. But anyway, this coalition is center right. Um, but and there's but they're pro NATO. I mean, because there are some right wing elements of, of European uh, countries, po- politics that are against uh, the, the f- funding the war in Ukraine, but not in Sweden. And so anyway, um, so the new Turkish foreign minister is saying that they're going to go through with this. Turkey initially blocked Sweden and Finland from applying to join NATO, but lifted its objection in June after signing signing a memorandum with the two countries. So it's Sweden and Finland that are joining. And Turkey's main concerns with the two countries is over their alleged support for the PKK, which is a Kurdish militant group that Turkey, the EU, and the U.S. all consider to be a terrorist organization. And it's more so Sweden. Uh, Finland think is accused of some things too in this regard and turkey wants to extradite some people from there too but it's mostly sweden turkey's looking to extradite a lot of people from sweden so uh sweden's new foreign minister said quote there will be no nonsense from the swedish government when it comes to the pkk we are fully behind a policy which means that terrorist organizations don't have a right to function on swedish territory end quote Turkey is looking to extradite dozens of suspected PKK members from Sweden, and the previous government didn't seem willing to comply. Under the memorandum, Sweden agreed to reply to Turkey's extradition requests. It, it didn't say, though, that they would uh, that they must be fulfilled. So it is a little more open-ended than Turkey kind of makes it out to be because they say um, that they have to extradite all these people that they want. But if you actually read the th- the what they signed, it says that they have to respond to their extradition requests and re-examine them. Um, but one step that the another part of this memorandum is that they want Sweden and Finland to lift the arms embargo that they placed on Turkey in 2019 when Turkey invaded northeast Syria. And uh, the previous Swedish government did lift that. So they did make some steps toward uh, fulfilling this deal. So where things stand right now, Turkey has warned that its parliament would not approve Sweden and Finland's NATO bids if they don't cooperate with the memorandum. 28 out of 30 NATO members, legislatures, including the U.S. Senate, have approved Sweden and Finland joining NATO. Turkey and Hungary are the only alliance members that have yet to approve their joining. From what I understand, Finland said recently that Hungary is uh, said that they're going to sign off on it. 
Uh, all right. So Sweden and Finland, it looks like they're probably going to join NATO. I mean, the, the only thing we could hope for is if Turkey blocks it. Uh, all right. The next one here, Biden, the Biden administration is stepping up sanctions on Nicaragua. So the Biden administration on Monday announced a series of steps that it is taking against Nicaragua in the most expansive sanctions on the country since the U.S. rejected the results of last year's presidential election in Nicaragua. So the State Department announced visa restrictions on over 500 Nicaraguan individuals and their family members. In a statement on the sanctions, uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State, said that they target members of Nicaragua's security services, national police, penitentiary officials, judges, prosecutors, higher education officials, and non-government actors. Blinken said that the officials enable the alleged corruption of the government of President Daniel Ortega, and he secured a fourth term in last year's election. The U.S. called the election a sham. It's kind of a familiar script that we see uh, with the countries in Latin America that uh, elect governments that the U.S. doesn't like. Blinken added that um, no member of the Nicaraguan government, nor anyone who facilitates them, should be able to enter the U.S., So also on Monday, the Treasury Department announced sanctions on the Nicaraguan government's mining authority and a high-level government official. And President Biden signed an executive order that gives him the authority to sanction companies or individuals involved with Nicaragua's gold industry, which is one of the country's largest sources of revenue. So this is a big deal, I think, because this is the first time that they are specifying an industry in Nicaragua that they're going to go after. And so since Ortega won the election last year, the U.S. has sanctioned government officials. But this seems to be the first step in the direction of more like Venezuela, Iran style sanctions where they really try to hurt the economy. And that's what really starts to hurt uh, people, uh, civilian, just regular, ordinary people in the country. Um, I mean, even just sanctions on high level government officials hurt them, too, because, you know, uh, it, it it can make it makes the government it can make them more exploitive say of the people if uh, they can't get money from outside the country um, but anyway um, so the US they could expand this authority so so what Biden did he signed this executive order he didn't um, make any put any sanctions yet on countries on companies doing business with Nicaragua's gold industry. But it's basically making it that uh, it's going to be prohibited for Americans to to do that. And it could expand this authority into other industries. And there is a report recently uh, that said Washington is considering banning all imports from Nicaragua outright. Um, And such strict measures, again, could put Nicaragua under sanctions that amount to an economic embargo, similar to the U.S. policy against Cuba and Venezuela. And history has shown us that sanctions do little to hurt the government of the targeted nation, but have a devastating impact on civilian populations. It's very clear that that's what happens, yet they still go through with these policies. All right, speaking of sanctions, the next one is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. And this is uh, surprising. Foreign Policy reported that the Biden administration is resisting pressure to sanction African leaders. 
because the Nicaragua sanctions is an example of how sanction happy the Biden administration is. I mean, in recent years, Obama and Trump really ramped up sanctions and Biden continued it. I mean, it's just such like a default thing for them to do um, that I'm surprised. So apparently the White House is sitting on dozens of potential sanctions for human rights violators, alleged human rights violators and coup plotters in countries like Africa. Uh, not in countries like Africa, in, in African countries, um, and that they've been refusing to pull the trigger on the sanctions. Uh, and the State Department has drafted extensive sanctions against Ethiopia, South Sudan, and other African, uh, other African nations, their leaders, it seems like. This is mostly officials. Um, so, yeah. It's just surprising because it seems like they're willing to break out the sanctions whenever whenever they can. Um, so the last one here, Israel has bombed Syria again. A Syrian soldier was injured, injured by an Israeli airstrike that targeted Damascus on Monday. The strike was launched in the afternoon in a rare daytime attack as Israeli strikes are usually carried out at night, although once in a while they, they are carried out in the middle of the day. Syria's defense ministry said that some missiles were intercepted by air defenses. And they also said it's just one Syrian soldier was reported hurt, injured, and there was some material losses. So Monday's strike was the second Israeli attack on Syria in just a few days. On Friday, Israeli strikes were said to hit the suburbs of Damascus with only material damage reported. Um, and like always, Israel hasn't said anything about these strikes. They rarely acknowledge their operations in Syria, and they haven't commented on these incidents. But the Friday attack was the first reported Israeli strike on Syria in over a month, which is a rare low in the Israeli bombing campaign on the country. Over the past few years, Israel has launched hundreds of strikes on Syria, which they frame as attacks on Iran. But the Israeli operations often target civilian infrastructure and also kill or wound Syrian troops, like the, this one did it injured one Syrian soldier. And recently they've been bombing, uh, in over the past few months, they've been bombing the Damascus and Aleppo airports. And the UN said that Israeli airstrikes on the airport in Damascus in June, that took place in June, halted aid deliveries in the airport for two weeks. So it shows you how their bombing campaign um, really messes things up for the just regular people in Syria. And um, the country is just really trying to, they're trying to rebuild after the brutal war that took place there. And the Israeli airstrikes, the U.S. policy of sanctions and uh, occupying eastern portion of the country, it's just really making the people in Syria suffer. Um, but that's it for the news for me for today. Um, we have a lot of good viewpoints as always, so you could go check that out. And again, please go uh, check out the letter from Roger Waters and, and help support us, antiwar.com slash donate. Um, but that's it for me for today. I got through it. I was pretty tired today. I had a long weekend, um, but I appreciate all the well wishes and stuff for uh, our wedding and my son's first birthday. It was a really great weekend. It was a good little break, you know, from, from all this, but I also, you know, missed it a lot, but, um, but anyway, I'll be back with, 
uh, more news for you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.